Welcome to the Bone Cement Podcast. Today is Wednesday, December 23rd, 2020. My name is Ellie Sheva, and I'd like to welcome Dr. Robert Magioras to the Bone Cement Podcast. Dr. Magioras is a native of, Des- of Denver, Colorado. He came to Philadelphia to attend the University of Pennsylvania. After receiving his BA, he was admitted to the University of Pennsylvania School of Dental Medicine, where he graduated near the top of his class. He was then admitted to residency in oral and maxillofacial surgery at Thomas Jefferson University Hospital, where he was elected chief resident in his final year. Dr. Mogioras was then accepted to a prestigious implants surgical fellowship at the Colorado Institute for Tissue Engineering. During his fellowship, he completed over 2,000 dental implant and bone grafting procedures. While there, Dr. Magioras also did some original research in the area of bone regeneration and grafting. This work has been published in professional journals and textbooks. Dr. Magioras is a frequent lecturer on topics related to bone grafting and implants. His lectures have been as close to home as down the block and as far away as Israel. Dr. Magioras has a has a dedication to patient care in all aspects of oral and maxillofacial surgery and implant dentistry. He is a diplomat of the American Board of Oral and Maxillofacial Surgery, the American Board of Dental Anesthesiology, and the American College of Oral and Maxillofacial Surgery. Dr. Magioris shares his knowledge with the future of dentistry at his alma mater, the University of Pennsylvania where he serves as an assistant clinical professor professor of oral and maxillofacial surgery. Dr. Magurius, how are you? I'm well, thank you for the kind introduction. It's a pleasure having you here today. Pleasure being here. Great. Um, Would you like to give us a little bit of an introduction to yourself beyond your professional life? Tell us a little bit about yourself. I was going to say you did such a good job introducing me. Um, it's true, I am from Denver, Colorado, and especially at this time of year, I miss having the snow and the skiing in the mountains, but um, I grew up there and I came out to Philadelphia for school at the University of Pennsylvania, originally as an undergraduate, which wasn't in your introduction. That's how I got to Philadelphia, and Philadelphia sort of sucked me in, and I've stayed here. I've made my, my, my um, personal home here, my, my professional home here. Um, I'm married for 22 years with five children, all boys. Um, and other than a brief stint back in Colorado for the fellowship that you mentioned, I've been living in the Philadelphia area since about 1994. And uh, I've been practicing, you know, uh, oral and maxillofacial surgery with a very strong um, concentration in implantology um, because of the fellowship, of course. And, um, you know, that that's... That's the basics of it. I, I just try to keep up with my five kids most of the time and the rest of the time I'm at work. I'm sure five, five boys keeps you very busy. Indeed, indeed. Great, and um, what made you want to become a dentist? It's an interesting story actually. I had no idea that I wanted to become a dentist. I was in a school, in high school, my school required community service hours. And um, my father's a physician and because I didn't know any better, I figured I'd, re- I'd volunteer at the hospital for uh, community service, which is a good thing to volunteer for. But I didn't know where they had put me. I said, they said, do you have any specific interests? I said, no. I, my only interest in those days was uh, playing basketball. And I said, no, I don't have any specific interests. But, um, you know, whatever, wherever you need help, I'm, I'm here to help. 
So they said, okay, great. And they put me in the oral surgery clinic in the hospital. And that was my first uh, exposure to dentistry and to oral surgery. I ended up in the oral surgery clinic for two weeks. And, you know, I, I right away became interested in what I was seeing and what the doctors were doing. And uh, I was able to observe a lot and help in a small way as a high school student could. You know, I, I was about at the age when I was about to get my wisdom teeth out myself. So I was interested in seeing what that surgery was like. Um, I did a lot of wheelchair pushing and taking patients in and out of places, but um, that was my first exposure. And then, you know, I got to the University of Pennsylvania and I studied the sciences. And I was considering a career in the sciences and, and uh, I met with the dean of the uh, dental school. I just called him out of the blue and he was willing to talk to me. He was a really special man. His name was Ray Fonseca. He's now retired, living in North Carolina, a wonderful man, a mentor of mine. And I said, you know, I told him my experience from when I was in high school. And he said, well, you should give it a try. I think you'll be a great dentist. And my guess is that you're going to be an oral surgeon one day. And he, of course, also was an oral surgeon. And um, he invited me to come to the operating room to see orthognathic surgery with him at the hospital of the University of Pennsylvania. And once I saw that, I was hooked. And then I applied to dental school and after dental school applied to oral surgery, and you, you can tell that the rest is, is history. Wonderful. Do you have a specific dental philosophy or a credo that, that inspires you? I do. You know, I, I, I've been very blessed to have, besides for Dr. Fonseca, many wonderful mentors. And um, my fellowship was with, a, with an implantologist, an oral surgeon who was a very special man named Ole Jensen, Dr. Ole Jensen, also recently retired. Um, I think one of the top implantologists in the world, frankly, he, his, his innovation has affected the entire oral surgery and perio communities based on his bone grafting techniques and his implantology techniques. And I learned a lot from him, both clinically, but also from an approach standpoint. And, and the credo or, or the philosophy that he instilled in me was really the least amount of surgery for the most amount of impact. There's lots of ways to do different things. And, you know, we should look at how the patients would feel and react to what we're doing. And if we can do something as effectively or even more effectively with less surgery, that's the way we're going to do it. And, and that's really the credo that I live by. I try to maximize the effect with the minimum amount of surgery. And would you like to tell us a little bit about your clinics? Um, I have two clinics, but um, one is more sort of general oral and maxillofacial surgery, and one is mm -hmm. exclusively dental implants. Um, the dental implant clinic is, is a unique clinic in the sense that I have a prosthodontist, Dr. Dan Moore, who works with me, who's excellent. Uh, we have an in-house laboratory. We have all of the uh, radiology here in the clinic. Um, so that patients can really come for what we call one-stop shopping, as they say, mm -hmm. where if you need implants, whatever you need, you can get it here. Um, you don't have to go between many different um, different offices and different sites. And you know, we main, we mainly did that for two reasons. One was convenience for patients. Patients were really going in a million different directions. They'd go to the hospital for a CAT scan, and to the dentist for a treatment plan, to the surgeon for a treatment plan, to the lab for you know looking at different shades and and aesthetic considerations. And that was one major factor for opening this clinic. And the other major factor was really that I felt very strongly when I opened it that 
even though dentistry had been a certain model throughout throughout recent times where everybody was sort of in their own little place, everybody had their office. And even though we communicated, the collaboration for dental implants had to be on a higher level. And it can only be on that higher level if we're all in the same place. So in a clinic like this, I can collaborate with my colleagues, both the prosthodontist, the, the lab technician, we're all in the same place. And that way we can really maximize um, our collaboration and thus the results that we can get for our patients because if something isn't quite right and, and anybody who's done implant surgery ever knows that there are times when something isn't exactly as expected, mm -hmm. I'm not doing the best I can and hoping that the prosthodontist can work with it. I call him into the room and I say, take a look at what I'm dealing with. And if he has something that needs surgical intervention unexpectedly, he has me right there. We, we, we all, and we have the, the lab technician to see with, if, they, if there's something that they can contribute. We always have um, collaboration on a very high level. And frankly, it's a very rewarding way to do what we do. Yeah, it sounds like you're really able to connect with your patients and see them uh, throughout the whole process. That's correct. We, we take a lot of time with our patients and we spend a lot of time with them. We want them to be happy. Um, you know, dental implants are so amazing. They change people in so many ways and we want it to be right. And we want it to be right the first time and we want it to be quality and we want it to be long lasting. And in order to do all those things, we have to set it up the right way. And that's what we've endeavored to do here. And you know, the, the office has been around now since 2012, the, the dental implant center that we opened. Mm -hmm. And um, you know, I'm very proud to say that we're doing really nicely and we continue to, um, to achieve more and more. And so, uh, you know, looking forward to seeing what the future holds. And what kind of implantology and augmentation procedures are done in your clinic? Pretty much whatever you can imagine from single implants, and, you know, just single implant tooth replacements to, you know, quad zygomas. We, mm -hmm. we do every type of implant procedure you can imagine. Um, and we deal with patients who are really in good shape and just mi are missing or damaged one tooth that needs to be replaced with implants to people who have almost no bone and need major, major uh, rehabilitation. Um, we do bone grafting procedures, of course, in coordination with those implant procedures. Sometimes we do implant procedures in a way that doesn't require bone grafting. Sometimes we do require bone grafting. Um, we do augmentation, horizontal, vertical defects. We do sinus augmentation, um, ridge preservation procedures, any, any type of uh, you know, bone regeneration and implant procedure you can imagine, most likely we do it. Wow, and, and you said you had another clinic as well? I do. That's a more general oral and maxillofacial surgery clinic. And over there, we do some implants for sure. Um, but we also do, you know, facial trauma. We do um, TMJ. We do um, impacted wisdom teeth. You know, we, we do all types of oral and maxillofacial surgery there, general extractions, biopsies, pathology. Um, and I have two colleagues over there um, who are oral and maxillofacial surgeries who are excellent um, doctors as well. Um, and we, we have, we have a, a good time there too, but it's a little different. Um, that's more of the, the, the traditional model for an oral and maxillofacial surgery clinic um, mm -hmm. versus the one 
that I was speaking about earlier, which is really focused on dental implants and is a multi-specialty center. Um, and how did you first hear about bone cements? Since we're here on the bone cement podcast. <laughs> um, you know what? That's a funny story. Um, I don't know how I got my first bone cement. It ended up in my clinic. Okay. Somebody handed it to me and they said, you know, we have this bone cement stuff. Do you want to use it? And I opened it up and I, I, you know, I let all the powder out and it went everywhere. And I said, Oh, this is terrible. I don't want to ever see this again. Oh no. And I, and I then realized I must've done that wrong. That isn't correct. And so I looked into it and I started researching about bone cements and I realized that I had done it completely wrong. I was supposed to mix it with saline and I was supposed to, I had no idea what I was doing. I thought it would look, I thought it worked like particulate bone, which is mm -hmm. what I was used to using. And I used it completely incorrectly. And I happened to be visiting my brother in New York city. And I saw that there was going to be near where his office is. There was going to be a, um, a seminar for um, Agma put on by Dr. Amos Yahav. And I decided, you know what, I'm going to be there anyway. My brother doesn't get off of work till the afternoon, and I have to be in New York that day. I'm going to go to the seminar. I'm going to see how this stuff actually works. Might as well not waste my time. So I went to the seminar, and I said, wow, this guy is crazy. There's no way this works as well as he says it works. There's just no way. Nothing is that good. It's too easy. You know, generally speaking in life, if something is too good or too easy, we naturally have suspicions about it. So I said, there's no way that this really works this well. Um, and so I, I, I got a free, you know, I don't remember how much, I think one case came with, with coming to the seminar mm -hmm. and I said, okay, you know, I'll try it. I'll try it. So of course I tried it. And um, now I knew what I was doing a little bit. And I tried it on cases that I think many materials would work. I tried it on, you know, rich preservation with four walls. And of course, bone, rege bone was regenerated. And I said, you know what? Okay, it's not terrible. I guess it works. And the more success that I saw with it, the more I started pushing the boundaries. Let me see if I can do this. Let me see if I can do this. And before you know it, it became my go-to bone regenerative. Um, I was doing lateral augmentations, which I had been doing ridge splits. Um, I'm not a big fan of online grafting in general, but ridge splits were, were something I was doing quite a lot. I was doing um, alveolar distraction, believe it or not, to mm -hmm. make um, ridges wider. And all this stuff, you know, was made so much easier by this bone cement. And I kept saying, I would even tell patients, I would say, look, I have a complicated way to do this and an easy way that may not work. I think we should try the easy way that may not work. And it always worked. <laughs> so then I was like, okay, this really works. Um, and then I, then I reached out again to uh, Dr. Yahav. And of course, I'm sure you know him. He's such a, a warm and wonderful man. And, really? and we really started collaborating on a much higher level with Bone Cements. And eventually he invited me to participate in the wonderful symposium that we had last year, which was a real um, sentinel event. I think we, we, we opened a lot of people's eyes. There were several wonderful speakers there. And, and I learned a lot. And I, hopefully I taught a little bit about, about what I knew. But, you know, it, it really changed sort of the perception of bone cements. And, um, you know, I've been working with it since and, and I've been very pleased with how the results have been. 
Um, and do you want to tell us a little bit more about the learning curve? You said you, uh, you were a little bit suspicious. <laughs> there is certainly a learning curve. And now that I teach others how to use bone cement, um, and I have, I've had lots of colleagues come to my office to, to observe the way I do it and so on and so forth, there is a learning curve. Um, first of all, my learning curve was um, it, like a self-inflicted wound because I didn't read the directions the first time I used it. <laughs> first thing you should do if you, is to watch the videos and, and read the directions and see how it works. It's very user-friendly. It's more user-friendly now than when I first got it, actually. Mm -hmm. um, it used to be you had to inject the saline from another vial. It's no longer like that anymore. You, everything is in one vial. It's super easy to use. And then I would also start with some easier cases. The, the learning curve with, with bone cements has to do with compression of the material and flap design. And I think, you know, I was talking to you earlier about Dr. Jensen. Um, you know, Dr. Jensen has a master's degree in bone biology, and he always taught me to think in a biological way. If you use that same thinking for bone cements, you're going to be just fine because you have to always think about blood supply for any bone grafting procedure. You can't just use it like regular cement and just stick it somewhere and, and hope for the best. There has to be blood supply. Um, but some of the principles that we've learned our entire lives are different with cements than they are with other types of grafting, um, specifically flaps with or without tension. And in, in this case, we're using flaps with tension, and there's a good reason for that. Um, but the, the um, angiogenesis that occurs with this material really is remarkable. And the potential for um, bone growth and, and you know, cellular infiltration of, of uh, growth factors is really, really great. And so there's a lot we can do and there's still a lot that we're learning we can do um, with this material. And so, you know, it's, it's just been great to work with. But I would say don't get frustrated if the first one or two or three cases don't work the way exactly you want them to because you do have to learn exactly how much compression to give and how to make those flaps so that they close with tension and, and the graft isn't altered by the movement of facial muscles and so forth. And there are tricks to it. And if you, if you want information about those tricks, the great thing about this product is that Dr. Yahav is accessible to basically anybody. I, I mean, he, he asked me to join a WhatsApp group and I, and I see messages all day and all night long because it's an international group. And he answers every question. I mean, it's unbelievable. The, the inventor of the material takes the time to talk to anybody who wants to talk to him and he'll answer any question you have. And there's others of us who have a little bit of experience too and uh, you know who are happy to answer questions and sometimes I answer questions and others, um, certainly those of us who are on the panel answer questions. And you know, the, once you get through the learning curve, it's really a remarkable material. And by the way, it's a quick learning curve. It's not like it's a crazy long learning curve. You know, after you do five or six or seven cases, it, it'll be pretty familiar to you as to how to do this properly. And it, you'll see the results starting to work like I did. You just gave some great advice for people that are just starting to use the material. Mm -hmm. um, do you have any other tips, things that you wish you had known when you first started? Well, when you have flaps that have tension on them, you have to be very careful to check um, muscle pull. And mm -hmm. muscle pull causes movement in the flap. And just like anything else with implantology or bone grafting, when you have movement, it interrupts the, the healing process. And what I would say is 
if you if you want to think of two things that are most important with this, one is compression of the material to activate it, and the other is to make sure that there isn't any muscular influence on the flaps. If you have those two things down, there are other details, but those are like the two big principles with, with this. And so mm -hmm. for people starting out, if you keep those two things in mind, you're gonna have success with, with the bone cements. And if you if you ignore those things or you think, well, I'm gonna do what I've always done, then you're not gonna have success with it. And sometimes it's hard because people, especially us dentists, we get dogmatic and you know, we, we say, oh, well, it has to be this way because Professor so-and-so told me it was this way. And that is maybe true for what he was talking about, but now we're talking about something new and we have to open our minds and, and allow for the possibility that something is different because this is a very, very different way of regenerating bone. But I think it's well worth finding out how to do it because the, the benefits are tremendous. The benefits to patients are tremendous, very minimal, um, you know, discomfort and swelling. And, you know, you're finishing procedures that took hours in minutes. Um, you're saving money on membranes and you're getting results that are excellent. Um, sometimes better, most of the time better than, than other materials. I, I would say the only material that um, I would still consider in line with, with the bone cement that, that I've been using with Augma is autogenous bone. Um, and even some of my cases, if you've ever been, had a chance to watch any of my lectures, I discuss um, some osteoperiosteal flaps where we, where we take bone and tissue and move it together and we change its position and then we have to graft interpositionally. I used to do that with only autogenous bone. And of course, like I was saying, I was always pushing the envelope with, with Augma and I started to use bone cements. And I said, well, now it's working so nicely, I'm gonna use bone cements because why should I open a second surgical site for a patient to donate bone from? Why should they have to suffer a second surgical wound and, and, and have pain in two spots? You know, the discomfort from surgery one is enough. I don't want to make them have discomfort from surgery two. And so we've had, you know, we, we've had a great time with it. Yesterday, I had the honor of watching your webinar on our um, website. So I got to see some of your cases that you're talking about now. It's very fun yeah. to hear you talk about them. Yeah. You know, they're, they're, some of them actually have become, I don't want to say obsolete because everything has its place, but some of them have, I don't have to use quite as often as I used to because, because the augment just is easier. You know, I, 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 I don't have to use a, a piezo saw and, and make cuts in bone and, and split bone and things like that because, you know, I can, I can put some augma in there and wait a few months and I have real bone. That's, that's actually the, the thing that I, I think people don't understand until they use this material. When you bone graft, and, and I've used so many different types of graft materials over the years, but when you bone graft, a lot of times you open up that site and you'll see what looks like just a blob of some sort of calcified material. And you're praying that there is some bone in there and some osteocytes in there and that that bone will work uh, for osteointegration. There's enough biology in there. When you open up a site of augma, it's bone. It's real bone. Um, the bond bone, the augma, it's real bone. It, it's vascularized. It bleeds. It's it's like native bone. Um, I have a case that I like to show that you know was stunning to me. A, a woman who came in with such bone loss. She had a tooth that should have been extracted years earlier. She, it was literally floating in soft tissue. 
no bone on the buckle, no bone on the paddle, no bone anywhere. And I took it out and I cleaned out the site very well. And I just said, you know what? Won't hurt to try. So I had my assistant give pressure on the pallet and we put a couple of, um, couple of Agma um, syringes in there mm -hmm. and I closed it up and I hoped for the best. And not only did we get bone, but we got cortical bone. And that just shows you that the biological process with this is different than it is with particulate grafting. And so, you know, I, I show that case and I don't think that that case is a slam dunk. I don't think that that is a case for everybody to do. I don't even know that if I did it, I'd get as lucky again the second time. It's a very complicated, very difficult case. It happens to me that that case, we got bone to completely regenerate. I got a buccal and palatal cortex. I got cancellous bone in between. I placed an implant. The implant's been restored. The woman is very happy. And her dentist, this was done actually at the clinic where I have referring doctors, the dentist thought I had some sort of a miracle. And, mm -hmm. and I also kind of felt that way, to be honest. But, but really, it was just the fact that this material has so much potential. Amazing. Yeah. Um, do you want to tell us a little bit? It says that you're a teacher here. Um, what about, the, what about um, your students? What kind of uh, teaching do you do? So unfortunately, I've had to cut back quite a bit with my teaching because I've, so, I've been so busy in my clinics. Um, I was teaching at the, uh, the Penn Dental School for a long time in the oral surgery department. Um, I was teaching both dental students and residents. Um, you know, mainly over there, it's pretty basic. Um, and then, you know, the, the more of the teaching that I do now is, is um, continuing education for, for colleagues, um, mm -hmm. implantology, grafting, you know, things like that. The, the University of Pennsylvania stuff, I would love to do more of it. I just, I need more time in the week. There aren't enough days, unfortunately. So it seems like with the, with the corona and everything, you're still keeping very busy. Um, I'm thankfully busy again. Corona did slow us down quite a bit. We were, we were open only for emergencies for several months. Um, and then when the government said that it was okay for dentistry to continue in our state, we continued and not only did we continue, but we came back in a wonderful way. And, and um, I don't know, I, I joke around that I think people want to get their, their work done while they're wearing masks anyway. I don't know if that's really true, but, um, but it seems like people are interested in, in taking care of themselves. And part of taking care of themselves is, is taking care of their oral health and, and dental implants. And I think there's more, people are more conscientious about their health than they've ever been. And so I think this is just one part of it. So you feel that COVID has affected people's interest in their health in a positive way? I do. You know, COVID is, is still with us, unfortunately. And, yeah. and we have some, some uh, hopeful news with the vaccines, but, but, but it's still with us. And so I don't know the, the long-term effects of COVID. I, I would say in the short term, people are much more interested in their own health. People also may want to do things for themselves because they can't go on vacations, let's say, um, that they otherwise may have put off. People also, you know, I joke about it, but there is an element of, of people who, who want to get, let's say, anterior implants, you know, where there might be some swelling, there might be some signs that some work was done, done when they're wearing masks and nobody would have any idea that they had anything done. I, I don't know. I hope that COVID is behind us quickly and completely very soon. Uh, we can get back to working the way we used to work. 
but um, if one of the long-term effects is that people are more in tune with their health, I think that's a positive. It's hard to find positives with COVID, but that could be one of them. Um, and, you know, I think oral health is certainly very important when it comes to um, general health. And, um, you know, I, I think that uh, we're seeing people who are much more in tune with not delaying and, and getting things taken care of that they need to get taken care of. Have you seen um, COVID, you know, make a big impact on, um, on dentistry in general? Well, I think in the United States, dentistry was particularly hard hit with COVID in, in the spring mm-hmm. because the government in most states asked dentistry to close. Um, and that was really a mistake. And I think they've acknowledged that it was a mistake. But, you know, people didn't really know enough about the virus and there was a lot of fear and they're worried about aerosolization and, and spread. And, you know, I think the, the, the record will reflect that once dentistry came back, there's been very little transmission in dental offices. But, you know, the, the, dent, the world of dentistry was not on the front lines. And so we, we weren't working as our colleagues who are, you know, ER physicians and, and infectious disease and pulmonology physicians, people who were doing those kind of things. Um, and yet we weren't, um, you know, something that we could do virtually, which a lot of our colleagues in business and in law and other, and other fields were able to pivot to. So we were stuck in this realm um, where we couldn't work at all. You know, mm-hmm. I, I, I tried and I, you know, I had some success doing virtual consultations and things like that, virtual visits. But as you can imagine, it's almost impossible to have somebody stick their cell phone in their mouth and see anything. It's very difficult to do to do it what we do virtually. So it was difficult there. But the good news is that I think dentistry did come back in a very strong way. Part of it is that there was a backlog of cases. People needed work. Sadly, there were a lot of things that were probably easily taken care of in a dentist's office in March that may have ended up in an endodontist's office in April and ended up in an oral surgeon's office in May. And, you know, you know, things that could have been a small problem became a big problem. And that was true, not just in dentistry, but in medicine in general. And, you know, but I I think dentistry has come back in a big way for the most part. I think dental hygiene um, is a little bit slower to come back from what I hear from my colleagues. Um, some of the older dentists that I've gotten a lot of letters of retirement this year and mm-hmm. dentists who were considering retiring maybe in a year or two are just saying, you know what, enough is enough. And this isn't for me anymore. And I'm not taking any chances. So that's, that's a little bit of a, you know, a little bit of a downside to it. But in general, I think it's the, the positives for dentistry have been that, you know, it's well positioned and people came back and dentists really know how to protect themselves. I mean, um, personal protective equipment is not new to us. Every dentist knows how to, how to do sterile technique and how to wear masks and how to wear goggles and, and how to protect themselves. And yes, there's an extra layer of it now. And, and you know, we have, we have certain extra precautions that we have to take, but I think, um, you know, we know what we're doing. And, and, and so we've been able to make sure that there isn't spread in our offices. We've been able to keep our staffs and our patients safe. And people are starting to realize that it's safe and people are no longer afraid to go to the dentist. I mean, the schedules are full for the most part, I hear. And people are coming in for those hygiene appointments and for fillings and for implants and for even orthodontics, for everything. Um, dentists are busy again, which is really great. 
That's good to hear. Um, and speaking of, you know, the, the way that the world has changed in the past year, um, are there any things that it's changed in your, in your personal life, things that you kind of miss or um, enjoy, you know, ups or downs? Well, I haven't traveled anywhere and I love to travel. You know, I, I was talking to my kids who, um, who love to ski. They like to visit my parents in Denver and go for skiing when we're in Colorado. And it's really very special. Skiing is a wonderful sport and so beautiful out there in the Rocky Mountains. And, you know, I probably would travel myself, but I don't want to endanger my parents who are older. Um, so we, we haven't gone. So, so we've missed out on, on, on seeing family to some extent, doing some traveling. I miss terribly my friends, my social, fam- my social family. Um, I don't see nearly the number of friends that I used to see. I see mostly neighbors who live near me and colleagues who I work with, but you know, the extended fr- circle of friends, it's mostly virtual. Um, but on the other hand, I have my children home with me that would otherwise be at college. <laughs> you know, those two of my kids who, who, you know, who would have been away have been home either for part or, or most of the time. And, and, you know, that's unique that I have, you know, a 20 year old son who's, who's home, which is maybe not as much fun for him as it is for me, but, <laughs> you know, I get to spend more time with him than I would have otherwise, because he'd be away at college. And so that that's, there's a, there's a niceness to that too, even though I wish it didn't have to happen this way. Um, you know, the holidays have been a little bit challenging, as you can imagine, you know, usually we have extended family and, and, uh, you know, now I know it's, it's the holiday season for a lot of people and it's, a, it's a unique, it's a unique transition to, to celebrate the holidays this way, you know, sort of with just your, your, your family, your, your immediate family and not having aunts and uncles and cousins and all kinds of relatives coming. But on the other hand, there's a niceness to that too. There's an intimacy there. There's a, there's a, there's a warmth within your, you know, just your, your, your immediate family that, you know, you wouldn't necessarily capture that if you had, you know, 25, 30 people there. So I think if we look at sort of the silver linings and we focus on that, I think it'll help us get through it. I, I don't by any means hope that this continues. I, I hope that the vaccines are effective and I hope that, um, you know, that that either the vaccines or something else stops this and and we can go back to normal life hopefully soon. Mm -hmm. But, um, you know, I I try to focus on the positive when I can. What is the first thing you're looking forward to going back to do as soon as the the world uh, goes back to normal? Um, Well, I'm going to come to the the Bone Cement Symposium in Israel. Truth is actually that I have a son who's studying in Israel right now, and I would love to go see him. It's one of the first things I would probably do is to try to visit him. Um, I haven't seen him in a very long time. Um, And I would also probably visit my parents, who I haven't seen in close to a year, other than on Zoom. You know, I haven't haven't seen my parents. Um, So I, I think those are two things that I would do rather quickly. I would love to go out to eat. I haven't been to a restaurant since February. I mean, that would be great. Um, and I think there are ways, you know, outdoor dining and things like that. I think in this, once the spring comes, I think we're going to probably be able to do that. Um, but, um, you know, just seeing people and, and enjoying, you know, I, I, I was joking with a friend of mine that I've been to more weddings on zoom than I ever was in person. I, I get zoom invitations to weddings and, and, you know, 
I guess it's nice to be able to participate, but it doesn't feel like you're really there. It feels like you're watching a TV show in some ways. And, you know, I, I love to be at those kind of occasions where, you know, there's a real celebration, whether it's a wedding or, or some other celebration. And, you know, to me, it's all about people. And if I, I miss the people who I spend a lot of time with and who I haven't been able to see. I haven't seen some of my very close friends in a very long time and my family. And so that that's the first thing that comes to mind is I want to go and see my see my people as the, as we say amen i want to get i want to give somebody a big hug i want to shake hands i want to you know those are the kinds of things i, I really miss that sounds absolutely wonderful yeah um do you have any hobbies i do i mm-hmm. um i play the piano and i uh i i do a little bit of singing and i um i ski and i play basketball and I have a lot of hobbies actually. <laughs> um, I'm not your typical doctor who goes golfing. I can't stand golf. Um, I, the truth is I tried it a few times. I'm terrible at it. Maybe if I was good at it, I would like it, but so far <laughs> I, I'm really bad at it. Um, but you know, most of it is, is just with music and, and sports, most of my hobbies. Um, you know, and then, like I said, the, the, the other time is, I'm, I'm blessed to have lots of kids of different ages and, and, and it's not a hobby really, but, but spending time with what they want to do and what they're interested in also ends up becoming your hobby. So um, one, one really interesting thing that's come up during COVID is that my boys, I don't know exactly how this happened, but they've become obsessed with chess. And I played chess with my grandfather's. And I haven't really played chess since I was a little kid because, you know, when I left home and then my grandfathers both passed away, but they were the ones who taught me how to play chess. And now my kids are playing chess. Of course, they're playing in a different way. They play online. and you know, it's, but, but chess has had a major resurgence in, in this area among, among young people. And I think it's great. And I wouldn't call chess a hobby of mine because I certainly didn't play chess for 30 years, but um, but it's great that my kids have taken it on and now I can enjoy it again with my children rather than with my grandparents. Sounds like a wonderful way to spend your time. Yeah. I just want to say one other thing that I was, I touched on before about Dr. Yahav. You know, I, I think people should realize the uniqueness of a man like him. Most of the time when you have somebody who creates something that's unique and that changes that changes the way we do things. They're difficult to access. And he's just such a wonderful guy. The minute you meet him, you'll become his friend and he will help you and answer any questions you have. And who's better at teaching you how to use this than the guy who invented it? What a, what a brilliant advancement he made. And I just, you know, I have a lot of, a lot of respect and love for him. And I just hope he continues to, uh, to accomplish many, many great things. Great. Well, Thank you very much for joining us here today. It was really wonderful talking to you. It was my pleasure. And we look forward to seeing you at the Yankee Dental Congress in January. Yeah, I'm looking forward to that. I'm going to do a um, a talk at the Yankee Dental. Um, I believe it's the 28th. I have to look up the date, but um, mm-hmm. I'm already preparing that lecture. Um, and, you know, the Yankee Dental meeting is a great meeting that I don't usually go to because it's mostly general dentistry. Um, but my colleagues think it's a wonderful meeting and I've been once and I, I thought it was great and, and I'm excited to lecture 
to a broad audience on on this and and help share what we've learned on it. All right, can I just ask you very quickly, um, how does it compare lecturing to people on Zoom as opposed to lecturing to people live? I like to connect with people and I love to lecture live. I, I really enjoy speaking publicly when there's an audience. When I'm when I'm on Zoom, it's almost a, I've gotten used to it now because I've done it several times, but it's it's weird. It's it's just weird. I mean, you know that people are there, you know that people are listening, but you can't feel their presence. And um, you know that that's been a little bit different for me. It's kind of like you, one of the things that I always say that maybe it's because of my profession or just my personality, but I'm a face person. And sometimes I have patients or people who I know who I don't recognize because they're wearing masks and they have to remind me of who they are. And I just, I always apologize because I never forget a face. But to me, there's a personal interaction, you know, when you're in a room with somebody versus when you're on a computer screen. And, you know, I think there's been some really great things that the advent of, not really the advent of Zoom, but Zoom becoming as prevalent as it is is gonna make the world an easier and more convenient place in many ways. There are lots of things that I do on Zoom now that I'm never gonna go back to not doing on Zoom. Cause it just, I, I wonder why did I have to go, you know, downtown and find parking and kill myself to have a meeting with an accountant that I could have on Zoom. Um, things like that, I'm a big fan of. But when, it, when you're interacting with people who you're teaching or who you're talking to or who you're celebrating with, there's nothing like being in the room with them and interacting with them on a personal level. And I pray that we can get back there very, very quickly. Right. It's very different when you can't see the smiles on people's faces and the looks in their eyes. Absolutely right. And, you know, with, with lecturing specifically, you know, you, you can sort of sense an audience if, if they're interested in what you're saying or if they understand what you're saying or if they're maybe a little bit confused. And you can tell your lecture that way. And if you see that people are, you know, having trouble with, understanding what you're trying to say, you can go back, you can ask if anybody has questions. Now, I remind myself to ask if anybody has questions because there's no cues. And I may miss some of those cues by not being able to see my audience. And so I, I miss being able to lecture in, in, in a public way, but um, you know, this is, this is the safest way now, so we're happy to be able to share this way. And one of the nice things about being off during COVID was I never got as much continuing education as I did during those three months. I mean, pretty much every day I listened to some sort of, uh, you know, seminar online or, or did a Zoom mm -hmm. conference. I mean, there was nothing else to do. So we did a lot of continuing education during that time. I think a lot of dentists and doctors did because there was so much extra time that we don't usually have. Great. So now you're all coming back to coming back to action after all this uh, education. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think everybody would agree well, everybody's a big word. Almost everybody would agree that we'd rather be working than, than having meetings on Zoom. But it was nice to keep our heads at least into it if we can't keep our hands into it. Right. Right. Okay. Well, I'll, I'll say thank you again. It's absolutely my pleasure. And it was nice to get to know you. It was really wonderful. It was very interesting uh, to talk to you. And and like I tell all the people who I talk to over you know these virtual media I look forward to meeting you in person one day. Absolutely. And just so you know, I've been nodding and smiling the whole time. Okay, good. I'm hope uh, That's what I hope for. Very interesting. <laughs> Terrific. Thank you so much. Wonderful. You have a great day. And I want to say also thank you to everyone who is listening. Um, and tune in for more episodes of the Bone Cement Podcast or check out our website, agmabio.com, 
for fascinating clinical cases, webinars, and up-to-date information about Agma bone cements.